Here I am at episode 5, and I still haven't started telling about the actual events of our lives on the journey of our mission work abroad. The previous episodes were about how God prepared us spiritually for the call, and as I pointed out, every journey we make, every task we take on, actually starts with the preparations. But the question arises, when did we actually begin our mission work? We arrived in Brazil on March 23, 1972, and our definitive departure from Madeira, Portugal, was December 5, 2016. That's almost 45 years later. I think it's normal to include furloughs back in the States in counting time spent on the foreign mission field, and depending on the Sending Missionary Society or Mission Board, those furloughs may be one year in the U.S. after three years on the foreign field, or perhaps one year every five years. But like almost everything else about our missionary experiences, we didn't fit the pattern. There was no supervising mission board that determined where we were to work or that scheduled our comings and goings between the U.S. and the mission field. On the basis of one year out of every five being granted under the rules of many agencies, in those almost 45 years, we should have spent nearly nine years back in the U.S., visiting churches or promoting missions for the sending agency, or just getting reacquainted with American society. According to my calculations, during those 45 years, our total time on U.S. soil came to a little over three years. When we left Brazil in June 1975, we spent a year and a half in the U.S. to visit churches because we had to explain our call to Madeira Island. No one had ever heard of the place, and in the days before Internet or Google search, the first reactions from our supporters were invariably, Madeira Island? I had to look that up in the encyclopedia, or, or the atlas. Here's a brief explanation to any younger listeners to this podcast. An encyclopedia is a large set of books, often 20 volumes or so, containing the sum total of current human knowledge. Every year, our Encyclopedia Americana would publish a large volume to update new knowledge acquired since the last edition. Think of a set of encyclopedias as the precursor to Google. An atlas, on the other hand, is a large book of maps of every country in the world and the cities and populations. I guess it could be compared to Google Maps, but without street views. In that year and a half, we were also waiting for our visas from the Portuguese consulate. But after getting to the island in December 1976, our next trip to the U.S. was three and a half years later, in 1980. We stayed three months in the States that time. Those three months were the longest period of time we ever spent in the U.S. at one time. It was 1985, another five years later before I was back in the States, and that time we stayed only two months. Then there was a trip in 1988 for Rachel's and Rick's high school graduations, and then two years in a row after that because of Jeff's high school graduation in 1992 and Rachel's and Rick's weddings a month apart in 1993. Those two back-to-back -back trips nearly bankrupted us, and there was one year that our bank balance resembled the winter weather reports we see on TV. Anytime the balance got above zero, it would quickly plunge into negative numbers again. The financial winter of 1996 was long and dark, and there was no spring or summer that year. 
We always had enough, but we learned firsthand how little it took to have enough. After another year or so, we recovered the credit rating we had completely lost, and after Joy left for college in the U.S. in 1998, as empty nesters, we were eventually able to travel more frequently since we only had to buy two tickets, not three, four, or six. But even then, because there was no local leadership in the church, we could never be gone more than two months at most. But it was usually one month or less. Whenever we left the island, it was more of a vacation than a furlough. And a sabbatical? Perish the thought. With that bit of background, we tackle the question of just when did our missionary experience begin? I'm going to arbitrarily decree the official start date as being January 1st, 1971. Anything prior to that in 1970 would be year minus one. After that date, 1971 is year one, and so on. Until a baby has reached its first birthday, its age is given in months, but those months are in its first year of life. And its first birthday actually starts its second year of life. Abby sometimes doesn't agree with the way I count. I just turned 76 so I'm now in my 77th year. But she thinks that if I say it that way, it makes me older. That would be just like a person saying they just turned 39 on their birthday and repeating it every year for 10 years in a row keeps them from getting older. Where were we in year minus one? We were in Madison, Wisconsin, where I had been working as a land surveyor after graduating from John Brown University in Arkansas in 1968. I majored in biblical studies. But my minor was in building construction, and I took a course in land surveying, and I worked for the professor part-time while I was a student. I mentioned in a previous episode that I felt so intensely the call to the mission field in Brazil that I was ready to drop out during my third year of studies and get on the job. But missionary Steve Montgomery advised me to stick it out and finish my course, and I did. Abby and I were married before the start of my junior year, and when I graduated in May 1968, Rachel was five months old. We went to Madison because Abby's oldest sister lived there, and I was able to find a job in a surveying firm. I started by working in the field, but by 1970, I had been promoted, quote-unquote, to doing calculations based on the survey field notes and then drafting plat maps in the office. I eventually got $3.40 an hour, and I enjoyed the work. I accepted my being there as God's will. I even pondered whether I should study to take the state exam to get my own license as surveyor. Brazil was no longer at the forefront of my plans. By this time, we had two children, as Rick was born during our time in Wisconsin, and consequently that changed our outlook on life. I've noted that God isn't ready to send us to serve Him somewhere else until we're satisfied in serving Him where we are. We all get excited about the order to go, while God is still looking for our willingness to stay. He's not ready for us to go until we're ready to stay. So although Brazil had been pushed into a back corner of my mental attic, it was still very much on the mind of God. Now that I was perfectly willing to stay... God had to break the ties I had created and prepare me to adjust the course of my life. In the summer of 1970, events took place in the firm that little by little undermined the sense of ease I had acquired. 
Two of the partners set about to open their own firm, in direct competition to the head partner. I knew nothing about this until the actual split took place, but the head partner suspected I might have been on the list of traders, and he thought I would be leaving to join the new firm. He ended up realizing that I had continued to perform my job faithfully and that his suspicions were unfounded. No matter. The cozy atmosphere in the office had acquired a distinct chill, and it wasn't due to the arrival of the chilling winds of fall. God was messing with my comfort zone. Looking back on that now, I realize that God used that to prepare me for his next move. He was stirring the nest, raising in me a sense of unease. God has many ways of letting us know his will, but he prepares us so that when he does speak, we're ready to listen. It was in October, during this phase when the status quo of my life was being upset in the workplace, that I got a newsletter from missionary Steve Montgomery, and at the end of which he penned the words, How are your plans for Brazil coming along? I immediately recognized those words as God's signal. The time had come. This was it. The call I had been waiting for since I was 16. Abby and I prayed about it for a day or two, and then being fully convinced it was God's call, I informed the church in Rockford, Illinois, where we were members, and they gave their approval of our calling to Brazil with their support. I also gave my boss my two weeks' notice. In November 1970, we gave up the mobile home we were renting, and what we didn't store, we sold, gave away or threw away, and packed the rest into our VW bus which would be our home on the road, the only home Rachel 3 and Rick almost 2 would know for the next 16 months. Like Peter, we were out of the boat. By the end of December 1970, we were at my parents' house in Colorado, from where we watched the New Year's Eve fireworks display on Pikes Peak, 50 or so miles away. I know that now because on January 1st, 1971, we started keeping a journal which we continued doing for the next several years. This is the justification for making January 1st, 1971 the official start date of our, jo- of our story. These journals record events we have long since forgotten, and this podcast will follow that trail as faithfully as possible for as long as there are written records available to us. This was the start of a long climb up a mountain, a mountain we didn't even know existed The entries for the first week of 1971 tell of one of those long-forgotten events. On January 7th, Abby wrote, Ed went to the doctor today, found out he had a yeast infection, didn't have money to get a prescription. How's that for an auspicious start? We were starting from zero, so the only way forward had to be up. But in all the succeeding years and in all the succeeding crises, God always provided us with what was sufficient for our needs. He proved it that first week of our pilgrimage of faith. Two days later, on January 9, Abby made this simple entry. Ed got medicine today. $13.10.